you are you're brainwashed into believing that you're being prosecuted because you're God's chosen people. My father eventually died in prison, and it's the best thing that could have happened to our entire family. Anna LeBaron is the survivor of a polygamist cult. Her story is a cautionary tale for Canadians, because here, polygamy is still very much a real and often dangerous thing. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Just think for a moment about your wedding day or kind of what you imagine your wedding day would look like. You know, there you are, you're standing at an altar of some kind, hand in hand with that one singular love of your life. You know, that one person that you want to or wanted to spend the rest of your life with. If we look at marriage in the Western world, at least, it's generally assumed to be between two people, you and that other person that you're standing at the altar with. And I'm not just defining it that way because socially that's how we view marriage. That is literally the legal definition of marriage in Canada. According to the Civil Marriage Act, and I quote, marriage for civil purposes is the lawful union of two persons to the exclusion of all others. Marriage requires the free and enlightened consent of two persons to be the spouse of each other. Two persons to be the spouse of each other. But what happens If you want to marry more than one person, dot, 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 at the same time. Well, that is what we call polygamy. Why is polygamy not legal in Canada? Is it because it violates what we think are social norms or because it's dangerous to the people involved? Our societal rules and laws are based upon our values. And our values in this society, in this country, and in the Western world generally has been that it is not lawful for a man to have more than one wife. That's Wally Opal. He's the former Attorney General of British Columbia. Whether you agree with that or not, those are the laws. And that's where it all originated from. Now, a few years back, he actually laid charges against the leaders of a polygamous colony called Bountiful. Bountiful is a name of a community in southeastern B.C., that has a polygamous community for probably well over 30 or 40 years. And uh, the community has been left to its own devices for many years. Authorities have looked at it off and on uh, with a view to determining whether or not the polygamous conduct that was taking place contravened the criminal code. Plural marriage, celestial marriage, in a, in a better term, is a uh, a very basic fundamental part of our written law, which was, was published and, and laid down by the founding fathers of our church. Former leaders of an isolated fundamentalist church in Bountiful, B.C. have been found guilty of polygamy. Winston Blackmore was accused of having two dozen wives and James Oler of having five. It's a historic event here today in this courtroom because it's never been done before. The law has gone untested since 1892. The judge ruling Blackmore deserved six months under house supervision. His co-accused James Oler getting three. When I first heard about the sentences that those men, Blackmore and Oler, had received just three to six months of house arrest, I called up Farah Khan. 
She's a sexual violence frontline worker, and she's the manager at Consent Comes First at Ryerson University. She just saw the news, too, on social media, so I asked her what was her reaction. I said a lot of words that I can't say on air, and a little bit speechless. Here's a man who, first of all, for three decades was in a community to which no one was laying charges against him as one of the founders. He was married to 27 women, and he fathered 145 children. I don't have a problem with someone being polygamist, actually. Like, I think, you know, people have multiple relationships. People have different types of relationships. That's not actually what the issue is here. The issue is this person was married to 15-year-old girls. He was married to them, and the age of consent is 16. That's very concerning to me. I think it's really concerning, too, that it's house arrest. I don't understand why this person is being treated with such care when we know that so many other people are not. A day later, I called her back on Skype so that we could talk a little bit more about polygamy in general. But to be clear, why is polygamy illegal in Canada? Is it because it offends our social norms or is it because it is potentially really dangerous to the people that are involved? I think it's both. It can be an abuse of power, but I think the first one is the most important one that I think people have a real challenge with this idea of moving outside of heterosexual kind of binary man and a woman, just one partner, right? Like, I think we have such a challenge with this idea that people can love more than one person, that marriage is not just the idea for procreation, that marriage is not just about this idea of fitting into this like white picket fence, like we're getting married and we're going to be together forever, but people can have multiple partners. But what gets challenging in it, the idea of playing itself, like, okay, people have lots of sexual partners or they have lots of lovers or they marry multiple people. That's okay. What gets challenging in it when it's ordained by specifically or used by a religious community to enact patriarchy and say, you know what? I'm in charge. I get to decide who and how and why people get married and that only men get to make that decision and men get to decide who gets married, when they get married, and what age they get married. So I think that's what gets challenging for me. Polygamy in of itself, if it's practiced with respect and dignity to all parties and that everyone can be involved and everyone gets a choice, because we want everybody to have a choice. And I think that's what's challenging about it. When we take the consent out of polygamy, that's not polygamy, that's forced marriage. In April, a video surfaced on YouTube that allegedly shows the children of Bountiful answering questions about their family and defending the man that is their father, their grandfather, Winston Blackmore. The number one thing that we are asked is how on earth with 148 brothers and sisters our dad can even know us. Well, he surprisingly knows us quite well and he makes an effort. He gets every name right almost every time. I have two kids and I can't even get it right every time. We have not been treated fairly in this case. Dad has been hugely discriminated against, as well as the rest of our family and anybody associated with him. And we're demanding our rights. Why are we different from everyone else? Why can they take away our dad? Everybody else gets to keep theirs. Just, just him living his religion and doing what he knows is right. We are just asking for the same rights that everybody else has as far as that as consenting adults, we have the right with whom we choose to live and love and I think that's all that we're asking. 
sometimes you hear the kids come forward or the women come forward, the wives come forward and say, I'm okay with all of this. But then you kind of wonder, have they been brainwashed into thinking that way? Yeah, like I think it's like when your world is this small, like it's so small that, you know, your community, you're in a sequestered, you're in a small community that's so clustered off from the rest of the world. You are expected to lay down these kind of precedents to your own family if you have children, but also that your mom and your father have been telling you the same things. You don't know anything different. And so it can be challenging to step out and do something else. Here's these young women and girls that are kind of like, well, I guess this is just the way it is. And not realizing that how dangerous this position is and that it's okay to say no. It's okay to challenge it. It doesn't make you a bad person, bad daughter, bad mother, bad wife. If you ask questions, it's not just about polygamy. It's actually polygamy is the least of our worries with this. This is about child sexual abuse. This is about sexual assault and this is about sexual exploitation. And it's, very concerning that this was a community that people were afraid to say something about and afraid to challenge because the fact that they were a religious community and people were like, well, they have the right to religious freedom. There's a difference between religious freedom and people abusing their children. And we have to take a stand on that. And this is child abuse. One person who knows about that all too well is Anna LeBaron. She has firsthand experience growing up in a polygamous colony like Bountiful, but she said it was more like a cult. Hi, Nikki. Hi, nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for for doing the interview with us. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a pleasure to um, to be a part of this process of you know encouraging and engaging your audience in this conversation. What is it like to be a, a young girl growing up in a polygamist colony, like the one that you grew up in? What, what is her experience like? Well, the, the, the children that are raised in these communities are um, there because there's so many children. There's a lot of neglect that happens, not just neglect of emotional needs, but medical, dental, nutritional, educational Um, social. You get socialized with your siblings, but most of these very closed secretive groups do not allow contact with outsiders. And especially the way I was raised, it was forbidden to make friends with outsiders. And so you are raised, you're groomed, and everything about your whole entire life is by design to make you a good sister wife that will uh, produce one child a year uh, after you get married off, which in our community was right at about age 14 when you were old enough to marry off. Did you know then when you were growing up who you were potentially going to be married off to? Did you know who that man was? Usually the man would know who had been promised to him by the patriarch, or in, in my case, it was my father. So my father used his daughters as pawns to get the men that were part of our community to do his bidding, which in our, in our uh, cult, it was a cult. Um, my dad had cult followers. They did exactly what he said. Men would approach me as a young girl and let me know of their intentions to one day marry me. I'm a young girl, and I don't even understand what they're talking about. But you can see it in their eyes that... 
they have designs. And it's gross to me as an adult to think about it. So you're a child, and as these men are watching you grow up, somewhat unbeknownst to you, they're already looking at you going, I'm going to marry that girl one day, that little two-year-old girl. I'm going to marry her mm-hmm. one day. Well, maybe not two, but nine, ten, eleven. As you get into that closer to that age range where you can get married off, um, yes, you are looked at in that way. Wow. And they begin vying for your attention. Because of the, I don't know if I can use this term, you'll let me know if I can or can't, because of the brainwashing that occurred and does occur in these types of cults or colonies, were you uncomfortable interacting with these men or did you think that that was normal, the way that they were looking at you? you (laughs) You can use the word brainwashing. There's no other explanation. That term is absolutely appropriate. But as far as being a little girl and experiencing the um, grooming that happened by these men, um, it was a part of our normal experience. The adults were not um, supervising the children well. And so in many of these communities, they're closed, they're secret, and so much happens, so much abuse happens in these closed secret societies and these families and these communities where children don't have somewhere they can go to talk to about what's happening. And so uh, all kinds of abuse happens to these children and happened to me, happened to my siblings. The things that happened are just a normal part of your experience and you are, because you don't have a choice and you don't have a voice you are forced into a position where you just have to accept what's happening around you and it becomes normalized. For the sheer fact that I'm able to talk to you today about this, you must have had an awakening at some point in your youth when you went, whoa, this isn't comfortable for me. I don't want to be a part of this. What was that process like for you? When did that happen? Well, I was 13 years old when I ran away from home, but when I ran away from home, I wasn't necessarily running away from the cult because I didn't even know that I was in a cult. It was a couple of years later that I found out about the incredible um, family of origin and all the atrocities that my father was responsible for. I didn't know these things when I ran away from home and went to live with a half-sister who was on the fringes of the cult that my dad started. So I went to live with her, and because of that, I got some exposure to the outside world and became aware that there was more for me outside of the family of origin that I was born into. But it was only with that exposure that I was able to go, oh, wow, I like this a lot better. Because when you're raised in this kind of secret society, You're taught and brainwashed that the outside world is evil and wicked and vile. And you expect to encounter horrors outside of that group if you decide to leave. You expect that. And then when you don't, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, wow, this is not what I expected. This is actually really nice. It took me a long time to get to that point to where 
I even recognized that I had been in a cult. And then the healing process and the acclimation to the outside world process is very long. And you are 100% cut off from your family. Because when you decide to leave, you are shunned by everyone that has been your support, your family, your friends. Um, You're cut off from them. You are literally on your own without support. I mean, I was fortunate in that I had a half-sister who was on the fringes when I first went to live with her, and then later they did separate. And so I was very fortunate to have had that. But I went through depression. I went through all kinds of emotional trauma in that experience, depression and anxiety and things that went untreated for decades just because I didn't know that I needed help. I didn't know that when you uh, transition outside of a group like this, that there's all kinds of emotional things that are happening on the inside that need to be processed generally with a professional counselor, but even just talking to a friend and talking to somebody that understands, which is really difficult to find outside of that community. Once the rest of my siblings got out and we've been able to talk amongst ourselves, talking to my siblings about the things that we experienced has been the most cathartic healing thing I could have done besides talking to a professional counselor, which I've done for a long time. And that's a big part of the healing journey that I've been on. I watched a video of some of the kids who grow up or have been growing up in Bountiful, B.C. And as their father's on trial or their grandfather has been on trial, they were so adamantly defending him and defending their lifestyle. Does that surprise you at all? Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised about that at all. I mean, I remember when my father, I was... 10 or 11, when my father was finally arrested in Mexico and brought to the United States to face justice, he was tried and sentenced to life in prison. And we would literally get on our knees in a circle every night and pray for his release. My dad is being convicted of having multiple partners, multiple people who he is spending his life with, who he supports emotionally, physically, and financially, and spiritually. And this isn't right. What do you want to tell Grandpa? I want to tell him I love him. I want to tell him that he's funny. I want to tell him that that no one can put him in jail. How are you going to stop people from putting him in jail? To put him in jail. Tell them not to put him in jail? Mm -hmm. Because why? Because he's my nice Grandpa. You are you're brainwashed into believing that you're being prosecuted because you're God's chosen people. That what they did is not wrong. Like I at that time I didn't even know that my father had had people killed. I didn't know that child brides was a crime. I didn't know these things were criminal activity that was happening and that I was praying for my father to be released. My father eventually died in prison. And it's the best thing that could have happened to our entire family. Um, So you said that your dad, who's the leader of this cult, had people killed. He was having people killed. He wasn't pulling the trigger on anyone, but he would order his followers to go and, and do his bidding. 
the media would dub him the Mormon Manson because of the way he was orchestrating these murders, mob-style hits carried out by his followers. And so ultimately, he was tried and convicted for the death of Rulon Allred, who was a rival polygamist cult leader that um, was based in Utah. So he was mainly targeting rivals, or could anyone be a target of his? Rivals, um, anyone who um, resisted him, or anyone who tried to flee his cult. What he was practicing is a Mormon doctrine called blood atonement. You can Google that term. And what it means is that the blood of Christ cannot cover all sin. And if you commit a sin that can't be covered by the blood of Christ, which the prophet, my father, was the one who determined that, then you had to atone for your own sin with the shedding of your blood in order for you to be able to go to heaven. So it was kind of a backhanded, backwards way of helping out your, this person so they could go to heaven. Like, really? <laughs> you're doing them a favor. It's not a, you're doing them a favor, which is how backwards and brainwashed do you need to be in order to believe that you're doing someone a favor by killing them? You said that your dad would target anyone who fleed his cult, but you fleed his cult. Yes, I did. And the other people that were targeted by my father were people that knew about the murders and would leave and then had the ability to go to the police and give the authorities information. Were, were you ever scared? Was I scared? Um, well, here's the thing. When I was 13, I did not know that murders were happening around me. I was not aware. And so I did not know that by leaving, I could actually be putting my life in danger. I did have a sister, a half-sister, that was not mentally stable at the time, and she was threatening to go to the police with what she knew. And she knew just enough to be dangerous to my father. And so my father ordered her murder, and it was carried out. But I was not aware of these things. There were things that I was not allowed to see, based on my age, mostly. But I barely escaped having knowledge about these kinds of things. I was 13 years old before I had reached what it would be called the age of accountability. Once you were 14, 15, 16, you were brought up into this adult activity that was happening, and you became aware of things that were going on around you that were very frightening and traumatizing. I know it's sad to think that the kids who are still in this polygamous colony in Bountiful, B.C., they'll probably never hear this conversation that we're having right now. But Very much, very much so. <laughs> if they were able to, what would you say to them? I would say that the world outside of the one you know is beautiful it's wonderful. You have gifts and abilities and talents that you can use outside of that community that can earn you a living and that you can create a life for yourself that you're proud of if that's what you want. Anna, thank you so much for chatting with me. You're so welcome. Winston Blackmore was sentenced to six months of house arrest. That means he'll return home to his wives and kids to likely carry on as he did before. 
This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. You can find us on Twitter at This Is Why or contact us via email thisiswhy at globalnews.ca. Please take a minute to subscribe to the This Is Why podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Give us a rating and a review and tell your friends about us as well. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Friday.